The title of this message is Childlikeness. And I am teaching the second part. Last week we talked about trust. Today we're going to talk about joy. 19 years ago, 19 years ago right now, God was in the uh, showing me how amazing he was for the first time in my life because I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, given 6 to 9 months to live, incurable, but God had a different plan. And after I received my healing with no treatment, it was completely a supernatural healing. And after I received my healing, I, I asked him, and it was about two years after my healing. I was, a, I was a baby. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't even know Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus after I was given that death sentence. And um, after I was healed, I went to my father and I said, God, what did I do? I know that you heal every, every person in a different way, but what did I do to receive, to believe and receive and take the healing that you paid for on the cross? And he said to me, he said, you came to me like a child. You were open, trusting, and obedient. Now, at that time, I really didn't know what the Bible said about the importance of being like a child. But I started to read the word with that lens, looking for what the word said and what it meant to be like a child. So here's a beautiful scripture. This is from Matthew chapter 18. This is from the Message Translation. At about that same time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? For an answer, Jesus called over a child, whom he stood in the middle of the room, and he said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine in the, in the um, place where Jesus was, with all of the religi uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and he's saying the greatest is the child? And he says, if you want to be ranked high in my kingdom, in the kingdom of God, you need to be like a child. That had to completely throw them off. That, that in our realm, just doesn't even make sense in the age that we live in. The kingdom of God that, that Jesus is referring to isn't heaven after you die. The kingdom of God is what Jesus came to in, initiate. He came with, a, with a, a plan. He came with a purpose. And his purpose was to reveal God's kingdom. His purpose was to advance God's kingdom, was to show us what that kingdom is like. And then when Jesus raised and ascended into heaven, he left us with the keys of the kingdom. He left us with the authority and the power to advance the kingdom of God and also to destroy the kingdom of darkness, to enforce the defeat of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said, look at what I did. Look at what I'm doing, and you'll do even greater things. But he says to us that in order to rank high in this kingdom realm, that we need to be like children. And some of the pieces, in the, little, the little phrases in here, that the reason I chose the Message Bible, because it spoke so loudly to me, he says, we need to return to square one and start over like children. He says we need to be simple and elemental again. So here we are living in a world where it is seen as important to be mature, to be independent, to be in control, to set your goals, reach for your goals, and do, do it. God is saying, no, no, no. He said, come to me like a child, simple and elemental again. I, I think, in my opinion, and this isn't just for you, this is for me too, I think that sometimes the more mature we are as believers, maybe the harder it is to be this little child and 
to receive everything that God has for us. Think about the difference between a three-year-old and a 15-year-old. A three-year-old is going to let their daddy take care of them. A three-year-old is going to depend on their dad, know that their dad's there to protect them and help them and teach them. But a 15-year-old, <laughs> maybe not so much. They kind of maybe push back a little bit and want to exert their own opinion and their own, um, you know, their own ideas. God says, come to me like children. I don't want my maturity as a believer to hinder me from being everything that God has called me to be. I want the promises of God to be fresh and new revelation every day. And I think I, many of you have heard my story over the last six months. This is something that has been so rich in this season of my life. Because I know the promises of God. I've taught healing for about 15 years. Those promises are in here. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. But I believe what's important is that they are um, ignited in my heart. They are alive in my heart. It's not just in my head. It's not just in my my intellect or my knowledge base of who God is, it's in my heart, like a child. And knowing that God loves me and he's taking care of me, period, like a child. So where I want to start today, I'm going to be talking about specifically about joy, but I want to connect three words, three biblical words together, faith and trust and joy. So let me start with Hebrews 11.1, 1, the first half of the scripture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the foundation, the substance of things hoped for. We're talking about biblical faith because we can have faith in people. We can have faith in medicine. We can have faith in um, diets. We can have faith in everything. But I'm talking about biblical faith. Biblical faith is being fully persuaded of truth, being fully persuaded that the promises in God's word are absolute truth, being fully persuaded that the God of the Bible is faithful to his promises, being fully persuaded in the word of God and in the will of God to such a point that you know that you know that you know that God's promises are more real than the doctor's report, more real than the facts, more real than what you may feel in your body, more real than the concerns, the worries, the, the, the what ifs, the, the what does the future look like, more real. It doesn't matter because God's word says that his healing was purchased for us the same time that our forgiveness was purchased for us. He doesn't have to do it again. I don't need to wait for God to make a choice to heal me because he made that choice. He made it 2,000 years ago plus, 2,020 years ago, however long that ago that was, once and for all during his passion, his death, and then his resurrection and ascension. It's a finished work, and that's good news. So faith is being fully persuaded of truth. That full persuasion of truth is the substance or the foundation of things hoped for. I want to define the biblical and the worldview of the word hope. First of all, the world's view of hope. It is puny. It is no life, no power. It is pretty much a waste of time. The worldview of hope is a wish. I hope and I pray. We've heard that before, right? I believe and I pray. <laughs> and then hope arises. But hope in the worldview is simply a wish. It would be nice if that happened. So when you pray without faith, when you pray without understanding of those amazing promises, it's more of a wish. But the Bible meaning of hope is rich. I put this on your, on your handout. It's threefold. First of all, it is to wait for salvation with full confidence and joy. That word salvation is sozo. 
And the word sozo is the fullness of salvation. So the biblical word for hope, the biblical word hope means to wait. And the word wait, I love this. The biblical word wait doesn't mean just a passing of time. And you like hanging out saying, oh, I wish this would get over with so that I can have that. No, that's not what the biblical word wait is. The biblical word wait means to be entwined as one with the Lord. That's where I'm at right now. Yes. Sure. Yes. Good question. I'm glad that you asked. That is the G stands for Greek because it's a New Testament word. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. So every word in the New Testament has a number, and that is the number of the word that's in the concordance. And the, the word that is in another language, and I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see all the letters clearly, but that is the Greek word. So the definition I'm giving you is the definition from the Greek word translated to our language. So that's where the definition is. That's a really good question. So this, um, uh, to wait, to wait is be entwined as one with the Lord. And that's where I'm at right now. So, you know, the whole time factor isn't a big deal to me. I was diagnosed with cancer in September. It's now March. What is that, six months, five months? It doesn't matter, because what have I been doing for the last five, six months? I've been entwined as one with the Lord, believing, waiting, believing for the fullness of salvation, the fullness of so-so. So-so. It's a word I love. You guys know that. There are bracelets over there, little rubber bracelets that say so-so on one side, and they say AD 33 on the other, because that's when so-so was purchased for us. The fullness of salvation refers to forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It also refers to healing and health and wholeness and deliverance. That's all part of so-so. So this word hope means to wait for the fullness of so-so with confident joy and expectation. The, the next level of this meaning of, of word hope is joyful and confident expectation, expectation based on the promises of God. So I, again, I know the scriptural truths. I know what it says about Jesus, the prophetic word about Jesus, carrying my sickness, carrying my pain, taking the whipping for my peace, for my shalom, taking the stripes on his back for my healing, not just of physical healing, but of soul healing and spiritual healing. It's the whole deal. It's the whole thing. I know those promises. So when those promises are ignited over and over and over again, and when I work, when I minister, I'm sorry, when I meditate on the word, that's what happens. The word just ministers to my heart. It's medicine to my soul. It's medicine to my soul. And I know that it's also medicine to my body but I think the soul part comes first. So it's medicine to my soul, the promises of God. And what does it do? It stirs up the, my confidence in the promises. And when I have confidence in the promises, joy is the result. Joy is the result. So faith is the substance for this confident joy in the promises of God. And then the third um, meaning for hope is to hopefully trust in. So that takes me back to last week's message. Last week we talked about trust being a step beyond faith. Faith is believing. But trusting is acting like you believe. Trust is faith in action. Trust is the manifestation of your faith in your thinking, in your words, in your speaking, in the choices that you make, and in the actions that you take. It's not just believing, but it's living out your belief, living like you believe, living with, with um a smile on your face in the midst of the, the trial, 
living with thoughts that aren't completely um, uh, taken over by the doctor and the, the therapy and the, the issues of life and the financial stuff and all that. No, 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 that's not going to take up my brain space. That's not going to, uh, I choose not to dwell on that. I don't need to. I have a way better place to put my heart and my mind, and that is on what's good, what's favorable, what is um, praiseworthy, what is of a good report. That's what uh, Philippians 4.8 tells us to meditate on. So trusting is faith in action, and hope is a step beyond trust. Faith is being fully persuaded of truth, Trust is faith in action, and joy or hope is that expectation that rises up when you know that promise is real, and there is this joy that just overflows. That is hope. Here is um, Vine's Expository Dictionary definition. So this is another reference, Bible reference tool, along with the concordance where you can look up the words and see what it means according to the Bible, not according to Webster's, not according to dictionary.com, but according to a Bible dictionary, and this is their definition. Favorable and confident expectation, a joyful anticipation of good, the object or the source of which is God. That's the definition of hope. That's way different than just wishing for something. Amen. Now, I believe what feeds this, this gift, this, this hope, this confident and joyous expectation is the promises of God. I'm going to give you some biblical evidence of this, and then I'm going to kind of share um, how God has been doing this in me. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait patiently for the Lord. My soul expectantly waits and in, my, and in the word is hope, and in his word do I hope. Notice there's the word wait again. There's the word expectantly, and it all based on his word. In his word do I hope. Listen to this word, um, Romans 15, verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. That's scripture, guys. The scriptures teach us. The scriptures fill us and fuel us. And they give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for those promises to be fulfilled. That's exactly what's been happening in my heart and in my life. I, I wish I could put this in words better, because it's so real to me. But as I meditate on the word, and I'm, I'm, it's just a joy to me. It's not a burden. This is very different than the first time when I was um, healed of cancer. God works with you. He meets you right where you're at. But it feels so different this time. Um, the first time I was healed of cancer, my friends gave me the uh, book of healing scriptures and said, this is your medicine, Cindy. And with with um, obedience, I read those scriptures aloud every day. And they did minister to my soul. They absolutely did. And faith did grow and get deeper and deeper and deeper. But this time, as I meditate on the word, it's completely different. It's, it, it ministers to my soul with an intimacy and a love. It has nothing to do with just reading those scriptures out loud. It has everything to do with letting his word encourage me and overwhelm me with his love and his care and his promises and his truth. Yesterday, I, I happened to look at the clock. I usually don't even really pay much attention to the clock. It's really nice when you're retired because you don't have to have an end point to your time with God. But I, I woke up earlier than usual yesterday. I don't set an alarm, but I woke up like a quarter to six. Got up and, um, you know, just said good morning to my father and chatted a little bit. And then I got out my scriptures, 
and turned down my little light, and I started to meditate on the word. And um, again, it's just touching my heart and just loving on me. And it's very, very personal. It's very personal. And after I, I, you know, went through the scriptures that I wanted to meditate on that day, I got up. I thought, okay, I'm ready to make some coffee. And I went out there. It had been 45 minutes. And I only had one page of scriptures. But that's God just loving on me and ministering to me through his word. That's where the hope comes from. It's from his word. Amen. So we're talking about being childlike today. So let me just tell you a little bit about, and and you know this already, but let me bring this to your attention. Think about kids. Think about a little, uh, let's say five-year-old, who knows enough to, to know what a birthday is, and that birthdays mean toys, presents, and maybe even a birthday party. So if there's a five-year-old that knows his birthday is next week or her birthday is next week and they're going to have a party, what's going to happen? How are they going to act? How are they going to feel? Totally excited. Totally anticipating that party. So excited that it's going to be hard to keep a lid on them, right, all week. Because that they know if mom and dad said, your birthday's next week and we're going to have a party, they're not worried about whether there's going to be a party or not. They know it's happening. They're totally excited and they can't wait. They're excited. They have anticipation until it just, it just you can't hold it in, right? That's what God wants us to be like. Because he's given us promises that are amazing, way more amazing than a five-year-old birthday party. Of course, they may not agree, but I do. I have promises of healing when I have a doctor's report of cancer. That's really good news. What God wants us to do is the same thing that those kids do, to have those promises Just like a kid knows that when daddy or mama says this is the day of the birthday party, they don't worry about it. They don't question it. They know it's theirs. They know it's coming. The same thing with the promises of God. We know they're ours. We know they're true. We know God isn't a respecter of persons. We know that it's always God's will to heal. That's truth. And if you're not sure, I'll give you biblical evidence that it's always God's will to heal. It is his will and that it's always his will. So I know that. I know that in my heart. And if I know that in my heart, that's a really good reason to be excited and anticipate good. That's childlike joy. I want to differentiate between happiness and joy because they're not the same. Happiness is based on what's going on around you. Joy is based on what's going on inside of you. So when the promises of God are in my heart, when I know his love, when I know his will for me, his love for me, that's where the joy can come from. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we have the Spirit of God in us. And one of the fruits of that Spirit is joy. We have joy, but it's our choice to use it. It's our choice to let that joy come up and be part of who we are. It's a choice. And it's not dependent on the, on the circumstances around us. It has nothing to do with that. We're going to talk tonight about joy is strength. And that strength enables a person to remain steadfast and unmovable no matter what's going on around us. Joy is a strength. And with the joy of the Lord, we can walk steadfast and unmovable through storms, through trials of life, through tribulations. And that's good news. The next truth I want to share, powerful one, and that is that the well that you draw from will determine the measure of joy that is manifest through your life. The well that you draw from. Let me read this word, the scripture to you. This is from Isaiah. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
with joy, you will draw waters from the well of salvation. As I was meditating on this word, I was thinking about the, the well of salvation. And the word that I um, am, um, uh, I don't know if this is God, I think it is. He anoints me as I prepare these messages. But he gave me the word eternal, the eternal well of salvation. He says, with joy you will draw water from the eternal wells of salvation. I want to contrast that with the temporal, the temporary, natural wells of the world. The eternal wells of salvation are the wells that God has given us, the fullness of salvation. Remember, hope is confident and joyous expectation of the fullness of salvation being manifested in your life. The fullness of salvation, including healing. When you draw from the wells of the word of God, the promises of the word of God, this is healing class. I'm living a life right now, believing everything that I teach you, everything that I share with you, it's deep in here. When we feed on the wells of the promises of God, specifically about healing, but this is true about any word from the Bible, any promise from the Bible, when you feed on it, when you let it feed your heart, when you let the water of the word be fed into your soul, the result is joy. And I believe that the more richly you feed, the more the joy you can choose to go to church once a week on Sunday, but that's not much water. I don't know about you, but I drink a lot of water, a lot. I drink water. That's the first thing. That's why I don't drink coffee first thing in the morning, because I have to have at least one big glass of water before I even think of coffee. I drink water all the time. But many of us only get the word once a week when we really need to be drawing from the wells of salvation, we need to be drawing the living water of the word constantly. That's what I've been doing during this season. Now, I've always had my quiet time with God. That's been consistent in my life. But to let the promises of God feed my soul so richly, this is new. To just let the promises of healing just saturate my soul by the hour every day. This is new. I am drawing from the wells of especially healing, so consistently that that, I believe, is why joy is just such a part of what you see in me. And it's, I'm not putting on a show. This is who I am. I do the same thing at home. I am dancing all over the house. I am rejoicing constantly in what God is doing in my life. That's the joy of this wall, the eternal walls of salvation. Now let's look at the other one. Because it, we have a choice where we draw from, what wells we draw from. If we draw from the temporal well, the natural well of the world, this is what it looks like. Drawing from, you've heard it before, the doctor's reports, the symptoms in your body, talking to the people about the problem, because there is a situation. So you talk to your husband, you talk to your mother, you talk to your sister, you talk to your friend, you talk to your neighbor, you talk to your doctor, you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about the problem. Then you research about it. You read about it. You go to the internet. The whole focus of your life is on getting better in the natural. And that's what you're feeding on. Your thoughts, your, your time that you're spending, even in your thinking, is focused on the situation. Because it's a big deal and you got a lot to deal with. But you're drawing from the natural wells of the world. And the results are probably not going to be joy. The results are probably going to be darkness, fear, worry, anxiety. And that's not good. So we have an option. The well that you draw from, and I believe the consistency of drawing from that well, and even maybe the amount that you draw from that well, will determine the measure of joy that is manifest in your life. Okay, next thing I want to talk about for a second is growing in this joy, growing in this childlike joy, this freedom, just like a kid waiting for a birthday party. 
this expectation of his word that is so big that it's bigger than anything else. And what I want to share with you is a little bit of brain science, but it's Cindy, Cindy version, so it's first grade level. <laughs> I was an elementary teacher, so that's how I like to share things. And I'm not a brain surgeon, so I'm going to share it at Cindy level. But this is truly brain science. There is a part of our brain called, the, the, my name for it is the joy center. The real name, I looked it up and wrote it down, is septum pellus. I can't read it. It's got a lot of letters. Anyway, there's a scientific name for the joy center. And it's located uh, above your brain stem in the very center of your brain between the right and the left hemispheres. This part of the brain, when a baby is born, is undeveloped. And it develops, it is activated, it is matured through the joyful countenance of the parents connecting with the baby. So when a mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are around that baby, they, um, what do they do? They pick the baby up, they hold it, they hold it so that its little eyes are just looking right into your eyes, and you have this special voice. It's not the voice that you talk to your husband with, is it? Or your, or your friend with. It is this special voice filled with love, filled with gentleness, filled with tenderness, smile on your face, talking to this little baby, looking eye to eye. That eye contact, they can't even see clearly, but there's depth. That's probably why we hold them so close. We don't even know what we're doing, but it's God's way of naturally helping them develop. And I think it's innate in a mother, especially, to do that. And when we do, their, their, their brain, their joy center is being developed. We see that in a healthy baby about six weeks to two months old, when they start to smile, when they start to coo, when they start to respond when you're talking to them. Now think of the opposite. We've all heard of babies who have what's called failure to thrive. Failure to thrive occurs when the baby doesn't have that experience, when there isn't that face-to-face -face contact and that precious um, connection between a loving adult and the child. They put the child in the crib because it's often a baby that doesn't cry a lot, and so they just leave the baby in the crib or the little chair or wherever. They put it in the little thing that rocks so that it's calm and the baby isn't held and, and, you know, loved on. And what happens? That part of the brain isn't developing. There's a developmental delay. So what I would like to do now, um, as I was preparing this, God reminded me um, uh, of when my, my kids, my babes, my grandbabes were little. And we've got a couple videos that I've saved because they're precious to me. They're still on my phone. Of when they were just going through this stage. So Kent, put up the next picture. Don't start the video yet. But this is a picture of Colton. He's now eight years old, but this was when he was two months old. And what you see in the background are my knees. So he's sitting on my knees, and I'm face to face with him. This was at Christmas, and he was born in October. So when he was born, Kent and I went out to see him um, for the first time. They live in Nevada. We went out to see him. And then, so it was about six weeks, two months later, they came to Florida for Christmas. And I, Ken's going to play this little, just like less than a minute video. And you're going to see exactly what I talked about, about the countenance between a loving adult and a child and how that joy center is starting to develop. So, honey, go ahead and play it. Hi, baby doll. You are so precious. <laughs> Our precious baby. Yes, our precious baby. Good morning. Good morning. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, we love you, little one. He slept so, so good last night. Yes. He's talking this morning. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, I love you, little one. Good grin, Bug. I love you so Good much. Good grin. Precious or what? Is that precious? 
that is a picture of the joy being developed. So we were out west two weeks ago, or three weeks, whatever, and I saw Colton. He is now eight years old. Completely different little boy. But that joy center, he, I, I, I brag about my son and his wife all the time. They're amazing parents. But he is so well-balanced and such a joy-filled little boy. So is Cora. But I just happened to be sharing Colton today. So I want to share part B of this Colton story. So when we were there this last um, visit, I tucked the kids in bed every night. They always want Grandma to come in and, you know, tuck them in because they don't get me very often and we're very, very close. So I would go in every night to both their rooms, and they always want me to sing to them. So I've got a whole repertoire of songs, you know, lullabies from when they were babies, silly songs, songs that I sang when I was a kid that my mom taught me, bunches of all these songs, songs that I sang when I was an elementary teacher. So they have this whole array of songs, and I always let them choose, usually two songs before bed. And Colton, this vacation, every night he wanted me to sing Hush, little baby, don't you cry. It was so precious. I mean, it's not because he was sad, not because he was crying, but because that was a song that was just precious to him. I have sung that song to him since, you know, I was rocking when he was a little bitty boy, and he loves that song. And every night before I would kiss him goodnight and walk out of the room, he'd say, Grandma, I love when you sing to me. So that is that precious gift of the love of a, a parent or, or a guardian or, or grandma or grandpa that, that is face-to-face -face with a loving countenance, and that develops. Now, the reason I said all of that is because that is what happens with our Father. When we are in communion with our Father, when we are face-to-face -face with our Father, we become the sparkle in his eyes. His love, eye to eye, face to face, heart to heart. And that is the environment for that joy that I'm talking about, that childlike joy of the Lord, to be developed. That's what I said when I've been meditating on that word. It isn't about the words in the scriptures. It's about the love of the word. His promises and his care and his his goodness and his faithfulness to the work. It's about the love. It's about that connection. And that, I believe, is what's feeding that joy in me this season. Joy is the expected result of communing with Abba Father. Our joy is a direct result of being in the presence of God, just like the joy of a baby is a result of being in the presence and the connection of a loving parent. And let me read a couple scriptures, or I guess just one scripture. Here's the first one. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You will show me, God, the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. I want to take two words from that scripture, and these are, this is another example of the, taking the, the original language, which is Hebrew, and looking what the words mean. The first word I want to look at is presence. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. That word presence means face to face, eye to eye. I'm going to say this again, and I want you to think about it. We are the sparkle in Abba, Father's eyes. He, is, he loves us the way that I love my grandchildren, except magnified a hundred times, a million times. We are the sparkle in his eyes. We are the joy in his eyes. In his presence, face to face, is Fullness of joy, and that word fullness means satiated, like so full that it, like a, a sponge that is so full that the water's just dripping all over the place. We're satiated with joy in his presence. 
there is an abundance of joy in his presence. And I want to share with you now, I already have a little bit, but I want to share what I'm calling my joy testimony. And I want to give two aspects of it, two bookends. The first bookend was 19 years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer and healed. During that season, I was just starting my walk with God. And I'll never forget the first of all, before I was, before I knew Jesus, I was diagnosed with cancer. And the first thing that happened was suffocating fear. Absolutely. It, 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 it took over my life. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I was, uh, just consumed with fear. Then I was introduced to Jesus. My friend led me to the Lord. I was a very religious person. I was a Catholic as well, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And when Jenny introduced me and invited me to pray the prayer of salvation, this is what she said that same day. She said, Cindy, spend time with God every day. And guess what? In your presence is the fullness of joy. I started spending time with God every day. Within a very short time, that fear lifted. It didn't make sense to me. I, I knew that it didn't make sense. I had a death sentence, and yet fear was gone. But then it grew even more. Because instead of just not having fear, I had joy. And it didn't make sense. I still had a death sentence. I still had doctor's visits all the time, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And, you know, there were, there were tests and waiting and more tests and more waiting. But I had joy. I was in a new season of life. Everything I was seeing from a different perspective. It was crazy. It didn't make sense. But I had joy. So that was my first joy testimony. Now I want to go fast forward to now. I've already described to you what he's doing to me with his word. But I want to share with you what he's just shared with me, what I've realized this last week. And that is that there is a parallel in my life, that there's, there's something that I can see with my eyes, and that is our new house. We're building this new house. So and it's amazing. So I was diagnosed with cancer the day we moved out of our old house. And our old house was a, you know this, it was a house that we'd lived in for 27 years, but it was, I loved that house. We moved out of that house, and I was diagnosed with cancer the same day. So think about the parallel. The day that I was, that we moved out, our new house was just being framed, so it was just a skeleton. And now, over the last months, the, the word of the Lord has been ministering to my heart in an amazing way. This, this um, trust and joy has been amazing. It, it's just, I can't even put words to it. My body has been improving every day, every week. I see new things that I can do. I told you last week, just now I can now dance again and jump again. That just happened within the last week. And, and... All of this time, we've been building our house, and one thing after another, I see coming together. I see the house coming together, and it's almost ready to move in. Probably be a month before we're in our new house. Yay, Jesus. And when I move into that new house, I'm going to move in healed, healed body. Yay, God. So I've gone from cancer, no house, time of displacement, but it's not been displaced because I've been with God the whole way feeding, growing, being nurtured by his word, being nurtured by God. And all of this is coming together. And I can, you know, I've got the, the natural piece that I'm seeing with the house that is almost like a picture of the glory of God and what he's been doing in my life during these last months. And believe me, it brings me joy, great joy. When I was first diagnosed and moved out of the house the same day and all of that, my mother-in-law, oh, she, I, I love my mother-in-law. She's a beautiful woman. But she said, oh, this is such bad timing. You know, you just moved out of your house, and you've got all this going on, and it's going to be so stressful. And, and God spoke to me the next day, and he says, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I've got you, baby girl. This, isn't, this is perfect. I'm taking care of you every step of the way. 
And in, in one of my journal things, he said, and by the way, enjoy this season as you're building your house. Enjoy it. So the joy of the Lord. The next thing that I want to share, and this is important, is that this joy of the Lord brings strength. It's not just feel good. It does feel good. It's way better than fear. It's way better than anxiety. But there's also strength. I'm going to read an account from the book of Nehemiah. But I want to give you a little background first. This, this took place um, about 70 years after um, the people of Israel went into exile. They were um, Jerusalem was, over, in fact, all of Israel, all of Israel and Judah were, were captured by Babylon, and they were all taken into exile, and they were in exile for 70 years. And after 70 years, they were released. First, Ezra, the priest, came back with a lot of people, and when Ezra came back, he, he rebuilt the temple in a very simple way. It wasn't as beautiful and as elaborate as it was with King Solomon's temple, but it was still, it was rebuilt. And then, um, several years after that, I don't know the exact timing, Nehemiah came. And Nehemiah wasn't a, a religious man. He was a political man. He, was, he came as governor, but he was anointed by God to do what he came to do. And he helped uh, manage the building of the wall around the temple, around Jerusalem. After it was all built, Nehemiah asked Ezra to... Um, to bring all the people together, and to read the word of the law. All of the people came together, and he spent five hours reading the word. And then the Levites and Ezra the, the priest um, explained it. They taught the people about the word. They told, first they read it, and then they explained it. And this is what happened. The people were cut to the heart, sorry, and they were um, they were uh, upset because they realized they were not following the word. They didn't have a Bible. They couldn't read it themselves. They didn't even know the promises. They didn't know the word. So when they heard it, they were really upset because they realized they hadn't been living it. So they were, they were convicted. They were depressed. They were weeping. They were crying. They were upset. But Ezra said, no, no, don't be upset. And that's where I'm going to pick up the scripture. Ezra told them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet drink, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Be not grieved and depressed. For the joy of the Lord is your strength and stronghold. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved and sad. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, send portions, and make great rejoicing. For they had understood the words that were declared to them. So let me, let me take this and teach it the way I believe God wants me to teach it. Yes, they made mistakes. Yes, there were problems. But God's, I've got good news this word is good for you. So don't worry because you haven't been following it. Now you know it. This day is holy. This is a day to rejoice, not to, not to be upset. This isn't a day to be grieved and depressed. This is a day to rejoice. And so he said, celebrate. And that's what all of those words mean. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet drink, and send portions to those that don't have any. It's, in other words, let's celebrate. So think about where you're at and where I'm at right now. Yes, we make mistakes. God spoke to me the day after the diagnosis when I said, God, show me. What did I do to open this door? And he did. He showed me. But he also gave me months to, to change. Basically, what I was doing was I was not resting. I was doing way too much. And I, yes, I was spending time with God, but I was not listening to him. He had told me, come away with me. He had told me numerous times, feed yourself. You give, you give, you give. You need to refill your tank. He told me that, but I was too busy. Well, let me tell you, I've had six months <laughs> to get quiet with God and rest. 
So God says, don't be grieved and depressed. I have this amazing plan for you. I have these amazing promises for you. It's time to celebrate. Be filled with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your stronghold. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made. It doesn't matter what, what problems there are. God has promises that overtake those, prom those problems. When we let his word take care of us, when we let him take care of us, just like my little buddy Colt and my little baby girl Cora, let their mom and dad take care of them. That's what he wants us to do with childlikeness. Now, on your sheet, I've got uh, four, <clears throat> four equations. They have an equal sign in the middle, so they're equations. This is first grade Cindy teaching again. Whenever you have the word is, you can put an equal sign in there. Two plus two is four. Two plus two equals four. That's very first grade. We can do that with the scripture because it says the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. So we can put the word equals instead of the word is. The joy of the Lord equals strength and stronghold. So on your sheet, I simply put joy equals strength. But in an equation or in an algebraic equation, you can, you can make an equivalent equation by putting the same thing on both sides of the equal sign. So if I say joy equals strength, I can also say great joy equals great strength. Remember, the degree of your joy that is manifest is dependent on the well that you're, that you're drawing from and how you're drawing. Guys, I have been letting the word love on me for hours a day, for six months. Do you think that's why I have great joy? But I don't just have great joy. I have great strength. Because joy equals strength, and great joy equals great strength. But we can also make other equivalent equations that aren't as positive. Little joy equals little strength. So if you're withdrawing just a little bit from the wells of salvation, maybe just on Sunday, maybe even just on Tuesday, maybe it's a little joy. You just need to let God love on you more with his word. And it's beautiful. But little joy equals little strength. And no joy equals no strength. If you're drawing from the well of the world without any feeding of the good news, then strength may be absent. And that's not, that's not what I want. I want strength. Okay. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures about strength and joy. The next one is from the book of Habakkuk. I read this a few weeks ago. It's worth reading again, letting come into our hearts again. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, and then keep going with your own situation. Though the doctor's report says blank. Though my body says this. Though this is going on and there's chaos in this area or, or you know, um, uh, dissension or strife or fear or whatever. Fill in the blank. Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. We have a choice. If we want joy, we need to rejoice. Yet I will rejoice. I will exalt in, not in me, but in God and in his word. Jesus' name means victory. Jesus' name means salvation. It means, it means um, um, deliverance, those three words. Salvation, deliverance, and victory. I will rejoice. And look at the result, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. There's the strength. He's my bravery. He's my invincible army. You don't have to be your own army. He's there. 
He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. That's good news. No matter what's going on, we can rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice. It's a matter of your will, your choice. And Isaiah 40, 31, another one of my favorites. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. Wow. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint or grow tired. Look at verse 31 again, the beginning. Waiting on the Lord, being entwined as one with the Lord. Look at the word expect. Look for. Look for what his word says. Keep your eyes on his word. Expect that word to come to pass in your life. That's the joyful expectation of good. Hope in him. And the result is you will gain new strength and power. You'll soar on eagle's wings through whatever the situation is. You'll soar. (laughs) You'll walk and not grow weary. You'll go through that journey easy, easily and not grow faint. That's good news. Amen. I want to share with you um, one of my journal entries. This was from October of, of last year, of 2020. And in this journal entry, God speaks to me first, and then I respond. Usually I write, and then I wait for God to respond. But in this one, he spoke first, and then I responded. And this word actually was from my devotional that I keep telling you about, Um, The Whisper, I don't remember, I just remember the name Whispers in it. It's the one that Jenny gave me. Anyway, um, it's a beautiful word. And this, when when I read this word on October the 17th, it just stirred in me in such a beautiful way. And you'll know when I read it. I pray right now that as I read it, it's not just for me, it's for you too. It's time to enjoy the freedom of childlikeness, to dance without reservation, to sing at the top of your lungs, to trust with such sincere simplicity that it makes no sense, to celebrate wildly until you collapse on the floor with joyous laughter. A childlike heart brings joy. And when you possess joy, you possess the atmosphere of glory and breakthrough. When you wear the garment of praise, you're clothed in victory. Together, we will laugh at the plans of the enemy. There's no need to be depressed when I have brought you my greatest gift of all, the gift of my son who brings release to every captive. Is that a beautiful word? And then I responded in my journal. I said, Abba, I have been consumed, overflowing with joy and simple childlike trust in you during my healing journey. Your love has overtaken me and carried me. I've been free to rejoice, to share the reason for my joy, to bring light to others with absolute pure joy and passion in you. I thank you for gifting me with such a childlike heart and ease to trust you. I especially thank you for this joy that has risen up from within me. You're such a good, good father. I love you. I'm in utter awe of your demonstrated love for me. It's been been a pretty awesome season. I'm going to um, pray the last scripture. I believe it's on your sheet. I'm going to pray this over all of us. This is scripture. I love to pray scripture. It's Romans 15, I believe, verse 13. I pray for all of you. I pray for myself that God the source of our hope will fill us completely with joy and peace because we trust in him. Then we will overflow with confident hope, with joyous expectation through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
That's a beautiful scripture to pray. If you're, if you're feeling um, discouraged or that darkness is trying to you know, weigh heavy on your heart, this is a great, that scripture is a great scripture to pray over yourself. A scripture of hope, a scripture of joy. Let the Holy Spirit just stir that up in you. We have the fruit of joy, the Holy Spirit, fruit of joy. So speak that over yourself. It's powerful to pray God's word over yourself.